Grace and mercy and peace be with you from God our Father, from our Lord and our Savior Jesus. Amen. Who is Jesus? More attention has been given to Jesus. More adoration has been given to Jesus. More opposition has been given to Jesus than any other person that's ever walked the face of this earth. Every recorded word that Jesus ever said has been studied and scrutinized and debated. Every word, more so than every king and queen, philosopher and scientist put together. Imagine that. And, and still, to this day, 2,000 years later, this one man from a tiny town in a tiny nation has such an incredible impact that not a single minute goes by that on the face of this earth, millions of people aren't sitting and studying what Jesus said. Just think of the impact and the influence Jesus has had on this world. So who is Jesus? This is the question we're asking in this Advent season. Who is Jesus? And we're using the genealogy from Matthew chapter 1 as our guide to get to know Jesus. Matthew, in his gospel, begins his record, his gospel, his record of Jesus' story with these words. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Would you put that slide up, please? The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So last week, we looked at how Jesus is uh, the son of David, and just as David was king, uh, how Jesus is king. And so today we're looking at this next part, the son of Abraham. Now a little, a little Old Testament quiz here. Uh, who, I'm not, we'll just ask it rhetorically, but do you know uh, who the son, the famous son of Abraham was? And his name was Isaac. Isaac. Sometimes better known as the son of sacrifice. Well, Matthew says that Jesus is also the son of Abraham. Therefore, Jesus, too, is the son of sacrifice. Are you familiar with Isaac's story? Isaac's story is, is one of the most dramatic stories in the Bible. Abraham and Sarah had been trying to have a child all of their adult lives, and then at the ripe old age of 100 for Abraham and 90 for Sarah, God blesses them with this miraculous gift of a son, and his name is Isaac. They name him Isaac, which is literally a Hebrew word that means laughter. Isaac means laughter. And what an appropriate name for Isaac because both Abraham and Sarah had laughed out loud at this crazy promise of God that they would have a child at, in their old age. And so they named their, son, named their son Isaac, which means laughter. Now Isaac was a son who also obviously provided great joy for Abraham and Sarah as well. Well, they raised Isaac, and when he was about 20 years old, God came to Abraham, and God spoke these haunting words to Abraham. He said, Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What? What? What kind of God is this? This is, this is the God who just gave them their son. 
right? The same, the same God, right? God had already chosen Abraham a long time ago and told Abraham, Abraham, you will be the father of many nations. Well, Isaac is the only means by which he can become the father of many nations. And now God is saying, sacrifice your son. What kind of God is this? <laughs> you know, being a father and having a son myself, when I read this story, it, I don't know, it does, it does weird things to me. It hits me in different places at, at different times. When I read this story, uh, you know, if, if this were the only story in the scriptures where we got to learn about the character of God, I'd be a little bit put off by the seeming sadistic nature of this God who seems like he just messes with people. I'd be a little put off. Thank God this is not the only place in the scriptures where we get to learn about the character of God. There's much more to this, and we'll get to that even today. But when I read this story as a human, my human reactions do one of two things. Sometimes I look at this, and I, and I read the story, and I, and I say, why? How could, you, how could you ask somebody to do this, God? Like, wh and what would, what's the point? <laughs> why do you need to do this? And so when I, when I feel that way about it, I almost get upset with God, you know? And I, I think, what kind of father are you? But at other times, I read this story, and I think to myself, oh, I don't know if I would follow through on God's command like Abraham followed through. You know, as, as a human father with a human son, if God somehow asked me to do this, what, what would I do? And I think, I don't know. I don't know if I could do it. And then I start to feel a bit guilty about my lack of faith, right? And so when, when we go through these tests, these difficult stories of God, either I get mad at God or I despair at my inability and my lack of faith. It's really easy for us to misunderstand God. And when we misunderstand God, when we don't have the full picture of who he is and what he's doing, it's really easy for us to despair or to feel guilty, or to get upset, or even to give up. You know, we know something of what Abraham must have felt like. We've all had experiences in life where our heart has leapt into our throat. We've had days or experiences in life where, metaphorically, it seems like the day is sunny, and all of a sudden you get attacked by a torrential downpour. A child is born with a chronic disease. A grandmother has just died. A career isn't going the way that you want it to. A father has dementia. A constant state of depression just won't loosen its grip. A miscarriage still hurts after all these years. At such points in life, it's easy to get lost in despair. We lose ourselves in our jobs, or in social media, or TV, or drugs, or alcohol. We express our pain in hatred, and anger, and revenge. But Jesus comes. Jesus comes. And when Jesus comes, Jesus helps. Jesus helps. He, he really does. Jesus really helps. And why is that? It's because Jesus is the son of Abraham. Jesus is the son of sacrifice. Jesus is the only true way out 
of any of this. He's the only way out. Let's take a look at this. The very first verse of Genesis chapter 22 said these things. After these things, God tested Abraham. After these things, God tested Abraham. Today, I want to look at this testing of Abraham, how God brings about tests on people in three different ways. The preparation for the test, the purpose for the test, and the provision for the test. We'll look at these one at a time. So first of all, the preparation for the test. The key words in Genesis chapter 22, verse 1, are, are, are this. After these things. Will you put up the next slide, please? After these things. The key words are after these things. God tested Abraham. So after what things? It's important for you to know that this story that we just read is not the very first interaction that Abraham has with God. Not by any means. Abraham and God know each other very well at this point. All right? So they know each other very well. God did not say to Abraham, Hey, Abraham, go and sacrifice your son, and if you do, then I will choose you. He didn't just throw him into the deep end and see if he could swim. No, God actually had already chosen Abraham a long time ago. And when God chose Abraham, there was nothing about him in particular why God chose him. The scriptures don't tell us. God just chose him. And God had already said, Abraham, I want you to follow me. I want you to move from this place called the Ur of the Chaldeans to the promised land, to Canaan. And so Abraham already had. God had already, back in Genesis 15, made a lasting covenant with Abraham when he said, Abraham, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. So God has been preparing Abraham. He already chose him. He already made a covenant with him. He's already given him this miraculous birth of his son. God has been working in Abraham's life, developing a trust in him to trust in God. Abraham knew God well. He trusted him. So what's all this mean? It means that God prepared Abraham for this time of testing. God prepared Abraham for the test. And God has prepared us as well for the tests that we face. Holy baptism, the Holy Gospel, the Holy Supper, all deliver to us the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, the Holy Spirit gives us comfort and courage and conviction. The Holy Spirit gives us insight and wisdom. And the, 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 the important thing to know is that the testing of God is not a pop quiz. The testing of God is not a pop quiz. You are prepared well for the tests that come upon you. The test that you're going through, whatever it might be on this day, it's not random. The test that you are going through is not random. It is not an accident. Whatever it is, God has already prepared you for it. There is preparation for the test. And there is a purpose for the test. There really is a purpose for the test. When a storm hits an eagle... It, initially, it appears as if the storm is going to take the eagle and crush him and throw him into a rocky cliff. But the eagle faces the storm and tilts its wings at just the appropriate angle 
And that power of the storm, which would have killed the eagle, is now the same power which enables the eagle to fly to new heights and to rise above the storm. As it is with the eagle, so it can be with us. The same storms of life that can seem to destroy us are oftentimes the same things which allow us to rise to new heights. God often sends tests into our lives to develop greater heights of conviction and courage and Christian character. There is purpose for the test. This is easy to say, but it's much more difficult to understand and to come to grips with when you're the one going through the test. I, I, I totally agree with you. I don't like tests. When I was in school, I didn't really like tests. And oftentimes I would look at the teacher, and I don't know if I said this out loud, but I would be thinking in my, my head, what is the point of this test? What is the point? I've been showing up to class. I've been participating. I've been doing my assignments. You know that I know what's going on. Why are, I, don't, I don't understand. I, w- I don't think it's like that at Michigan Tech. I'm sure every test is perfectly you know, prepared and has great purpose and all of that. But from my standpoint as a student, oftentimes I'd be like, I don't get it. I don't understand why we're doing this. To an even greater difficulty, though, when the real storms of life hit us, when those tests of life hit us, oftentimes I look to God, our Heavenly Father, and I say, what's the point? How could you allow this to happen? What are you doing? Where are you? Why, why do you allow these things to happen to me? And when I feel like that, I either get mad at God or I find myself in a moment of despair feeling bad about myself. But think of it like this, and here's what I want you to think about. Parents, those of you who are raising children or have raised children, we do this to our children all of the time. Aren't you constantly putting your children to the test in order to develop them and raise them up into places of good character? Think about it like this. Your daughter is learning to ride the bike. And so you get her training wheels on her bike. And she rides with those training wheels on her bike for quite a while and gets good at it. And as a parent, I'm sure you've been watching and assisting and teaching the rules about you looking both ways and how to operate the thing. You've been preparing her well. And one day you realize she's got the hang of this and it's time to take off those training wheels. So you put her to the test. And you say, sweetie, don't you think it's time? Let's, let's see what happens if we take off the training wheels. Right? But you didn't just get the new bike and uh, take it out of the box with just two wheels, take her to the highest hill in town and let her go, unless you are one of those sadistic parents. I don't, I don't know. We can talk about it later. Right? You've probably been preparing her along the way, and now you're saying, let's take off the training wheels. And most likely, you're right there, and, and when she's ready to go, you hold the back of the bike and you steady it a bit. And you run behind her and give her a little push and maybe run alongside her for a bit. And you watch as she goes. And you smile proudly as she, as she rides off. And maybe she goes for a little bit. And maybe she succeeds. Maybe she knows how to stop. But perhaps she doesn't. And she falls down. She scrapes her knee. She starts crying. You run after her. You catch up to her. And, and she says to you, why did you do this to me? I want my training wheels back. I'm never riding a bike again right? As a parent, what would you likely say? You would say, you did great. You did great. 
right? You did great. You can do it. I'm, I'm, I'm right here with you. As a parent, you didn't want her to fall. You didn't want her to bleed. You didn't want to see her scrape her knee or be hurt or cry, right? You're not, you're not sadistic. I believe it, right? You, you wanted good things for her. You wanted her to succeed to her fullest potential. Our tests refine us. They mature us. They season us. And they humble us. God tests us to strengthen us. Satan tests us to destroy us. God only wants good things for you. God wants to build your character. Satan could care less about you. I want to be clear about this. God will never, ever lead you astray. All right? God will never, ever lead you astray, but Satan will attack you at your weakest points. Satan will attack you at your weakest points, and Satan's whole desire is to destroy you, to bring you down, to defeat you, to bring you doubt, and to bring you despair. Satan takes great joy in your failure, but not God. This is not the God of Abraham and Isaac. This is not the God of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. God's tests are not intended to destroy us. They are intended to develop us. So God prepares us for the test. There is purpose for the test. And ultimately, he never leaves us alone because there is provision for the test. That's the third point. Put this next slide up. There is provision for the test. Genesis chapter 22, verses 13 and 14 says this. Abraham went over and he took the ram and he sacrificed the ram as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. This is our God. This is our God. Our God has always provided, and our God will always provide. With every test, God always provides just what we need. Just as you as a parent, when you're teaching your daughter to ride her bike, you will only test her so far, right? You know her abilities, you know you want her to succeed, and so you will only push her so far and then you'll go probably and take her out for ice cream, right? So it is with your God. He will only allow you to be tested within your ability. And if the test is too much for you to bear, he will provide a way out. That's what the Apostle Paul says. Here's how Paul says it in 1 Corinthians. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. He's only going to allow you to be tested in the, in the amount that you can handle, and he knows what that is as a good father. And, and if it seems to be too much, he will provide a way of escape. There's provision for the test. This God, the, the God of Abraham, who provided the ram for the sacrifice, is the same father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And in Jesus, we have the ultimate provision. God spared Isaac, but he did not spare his only son, Jesus. Isaac had to carry the wood for his sacrifice up the mountain on his back. Jesus carried the wood on his back for his sacrifice, the cross. And Jesus carried it up the mountain, not, not Moriah, but he carried it up Mount Golgotha. And there would be no substitute ram at this point, for Jesus was the final sacrifice. 
But this is not the end of the story. Not the end of the story. Our, our, our sacrifice, Jesus, rose from the dead. And because he rose from the dead, he has ultimate authority. And because Christ is alive, he will die no more. And the scriptures say that death no longer has dominion over him. And if death has no dominion over him, death has no dominion over those who are alive in Christ. You will live forever in his name. And because he's alive, because he has authority, when he says, I am with you, he is. When he says, I provide for you, he does. Because our God is not dead, he is alive. Did you see the joy in Abraham when that ram was provided for him? Did you see the joy in Abraham? What did Abraham name the mountain? After this whole event, Abraham did not name the mountain Mount Sacrifice. He didn't name the mountain, God, what in the world are you doing? <laughs> he named it, the Lord provides. The Lord provides. That's what Abraham got out of this whole thing. The Lord provides. My friends, I tell you today, where God guides, God provides. Where God guides, God provides. Where God guides, God provides. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will never let you go astray. The things you face this day are not random. They are not accidental. God has prepared you for them. And God is developing you in it just as a good father. And he is with you. And he is providing for you. You are well prepared for this test today. God wants you to grow in this moment. He's with you. He's teaching you. And he will always provide for your needs today, tomorrow, and for all of eternity. In this sermon series, again, um, in your notes and news section of your bulletin, if you weren't here this last week, in that notes and news section of your bulletin, I encourage you to take it home. On the front page, there are questions to prepare for next week. Uh, and so there's a Bible passage to read that will be the focus for next week, and there are three questions. I encourage you to take that home. Let that be a time of family devotion or individual uh, meditation. And, and next week we will look at uh, how, how Jesus is in the lineage of Solomon. Uh, Solomon. So we go in God's grace and his peace with his preparation, his purpose, and his provision. Go in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.